Good morning and welcome to Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Um, you made it. <laughs> Yesterday we got a tease of early spring and winter is back in full force this morning. Uh, if you are joining us online or out of the region uh, after a lovely day, uh, we had fresh snow this morning. And so if you are joining us online or from out of the area, we're very glad that you could be with us today. Uh, when we worship together, whether it's in person or online, at simultaneously or after the fact, we do so using a printed liturgy and words on the screens. They will guide us in the things that we will be singing and saying together, just so we remember how to do church, because every once in a while, things get a little bit different these days, don't they? Anyway, uh, if you are joining us this morning, if you have braved the weather, if you have gone to the trouble to find your way to our URL, uh, it got me to thinking with the snow around us, uh, why? Why did we come? Why did you step through a couple inches of snow or bother to go to the trouble to join us in your pajamas? Right? Some people are already tailgating, right? <laughs> Other people are sleeping in, right? Uh, you could be home. Uh, is it custom? Right? Well, maybe for some of us it's because it's not really Sunday if you aren't here, right? But I actually think that in the world that we live in, where there is a lot less social pressure than there used to be, we're here because of something that the snow around us points to, right? The hope that there could be something new, a fresh start, a new beginning, turning over a new leaf, good news, right? In all of our lives and in the world around us, we come to church because we sense within us that something ain't right could be something we read, something we carry within us, conversation that we have this week, or a nagging, gnawing emptiness. But whatever it is, we are here because we know that we need something, that we want something covered, that we want something made new that we cannot do ourselves. And if that is you, my friends, you are in just the right place, because God is here, and that is what God does. And so, friends, like the fresh snow, like a fresh start, we've gathered in the presence of God for new life, for restoration. Would you rise and let's say this call to worship together. God invites us into his healing presence with these words, I am the Lord who heals you. God calls us to bring open eyes, hearing ears, and tender hearts turned towards him, the great physician. We bow before him in faith and expectancy. i uh-huh. 
Friends, we just sang that will give you all the glory. For you alone are worthy. Oh, come, let us adore him. But how often this week did we adore ourselves instead of God, instead of the Lord? How often did we forget to say a comforting word or maybe make that phone call to someone that was shut in? Or maybe we said words that hurt someone else. We need to spend time asking God for forgiveness. Would you join me in a prayer of confession? For the times we have lied to one another and the times we have been lied to, heal us, Jesus, Savior of the world. For the times we have laughed at another's pain and the times we have been laughed at, the times we have spoken when we should have remained silent and the times we have remained silent when we should have spoken. Heal us, Jesus, For the times we have not respected another's freedom to be different from us. For the times we have betrayed a friend and the times we have been betrayed. Please continue in silent confession. Hear these words of insurance from Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Please join us in singing, Open Our Eyes, Lord.
Friends, the peace of Christ be with you. You may rise and greet one another. Can I have all the Kid Street kids come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? Peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Brett Buma. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. And this morning, it's uh, my privilege to bring us together in prayer. Uh, so please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a glorious day yesterday and a glorious day today, Lord. We thank you that we've called you, you've called us into your house this morning. We praise you as a creator of the heavens and earth, of all that we can see and all that we can't see, and we marvel at your handiwork, Lord, and especially this morning, we marvel at the beauty of the snow, uh, its complexity, its simplicity, and its... Um, it's reminding that uh, you, you cover us and will make us white as snow from um, the sacrifice of your son. And we know that you are worthy of all our praise. And we thank you that we can come to you in prayer and then that you want us to come to you in prayer. And we, we thank you for bringing us here safely this morning. And we pray for uh, safe travels as we return home later. Lord, we ask that you will bless our church, uh, bless the work of our pastors, the staff, the council, volunteers, and, uh, and all the members as, as we seek to bring forth your kingdom in this part of the world. We pray that you'll equip us with everything that we need to serve you. And we ask that you remember us um, not only here at Pleasant Street, but your church worldwide. We know that we live in a broken world. There are places where people who confess the name of Christ are oppressed, tortured, murdered, and we ask that you will protect those who are persecuted. And we thank you that we can gather freely here to worship you, Lord. And we pray that we will not take this, this privilege and uh, this right for granted. We thank you for the missionaries that bring your word to people who have not heard it before. And we ask that you will give them strength and joy and protection in their labors as they seek, seek to bring people to Christ. Lord, we ask a blessing for those um, in our church, we're struggling with health, health issues, and uh, we think, Lord, of Hank, who had some successful surgery this past week, and we, we pray that he will have a swift recovery and that he will soon be able to return home. 
And we pray, too, that uh, Leanne L. will, uh, will be, have uh, a good recovery from the foot surgery that she had. And we thank you for the good reports that Karen S. has had with respect to her cancer treatments, and we pray that this good progress will continue. We thank you for your answers to those prayers. Lord, we thank you that Carol L. has returned home, and uh, we pray for her and pray for her daughter Tracy as they will need to make some decisions as to the uh, future care for Carol and where she needs to be for uh, the next, next times of her life. And, Lord, we pray for Pastor Howard, who is recovering from COVID and dealing with fatigue. And we ask that you will restore him to full health and strength so that he can return to the work that you called him to. Father, we pray that you will be with um, Emily M.'s sister Mary and her husband, uh, Oral, as, who have COVID, and they also have a newborn baby. And we pray that you will protect uh, all of them and restore them to health and uh, protect the baby at this time as well. Yes, you will come alongside of Dave E., who recently lost his mother, and we pray that you will be with his family as they grieve the loss of a mother and grandmother. Lord, we pray for all of those who are struggling with illnesses, with pain, depression, anxiety, or grief at this time. Lord, bless and strengthen them in body and in spirit. And Lord, remember those in our congregation who aren't able to worship with us here, who are, who are in nursing homes or are unable to leave their homes, and we ask you to give them a special blessing on this day. And we pray that we will, you will not forget um, these members and pray that they'll be in our prayers and our thoughts and uh, as we seek to minister them, to them as well. Spirit, we pray that you'll be on Pastor Matthew as he brings your word to us this morning. Speak through him. Give us open minds and open hearts to hear what you speak through him. And Father, we thank you for your saving grace. We ask that you will be with us all this week. We pray that we will go into the world as your image bearers with joy and gratitude of those who have been saved. Help us to be salt and light in this world. We pray this all in the Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 5, 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who 
is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, friends. As we continue to walk through the Gospel of John together, will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, on this snowy Sunday morning, we come to you with the words of the song we have just sung resounding in our hearts, pleading, asking for open eyes and open ears. Some of us come this morning with eyes that are sleepy. Some of us come with eyes that are blurry from tears. Some of us come hard of hearing for all the noise in the world. Some of us come with crossed arms or restless legs or not much energy at all. We ask, Lord Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, which you have poured out upon your church and upon us, that you would come and take notice of each and every one of us this morning, deaf, blind, stuck, resistant, tired, and make us well. Amen. Near the end of the last battle, which is the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan the lion takes Tyrion, the last king of Narnia, and Lucy and Edmund and Peter and all the others through the door of the old world into a brand new Narnia. When they get there, they realize that they all have splendid new clothes, and everything around them is like an early summer day. The world has somehow become more real than it was before. The sky more blue, the fruit on a tree which they taste is more wonderful than anything that they have ever had in their life. All around them is light and health and beauty. The war-torn and violent old Narnia has given way to a whole new creation. But then the children notice that there is a group of dwarves huddled together in a circle facing each other. The children discover that though they are in the middle of this beautiful new world, the dwarves are convinced that they are sitting in the rank stench of a barn in complete darkness. Ever compassionate, Lucy tries to show them the beauty around them. She holds a bouquet of fresh, damp flowers in front of the nose of one of the dwarves, but all he smells is dung. None of that, he shouts. What do you mean by shoving a lot of filthy stable litter in my face? 
Well, then King Tyrion tries to force them out of their self-imposed prison. He picks one dwarf up out of the little circle. Come out of it, he says, shaking him, willing him to see the world around him. But as soon as Tyrion sets him back down again, the dwarf runs right back to the little huddle. And he rubs his nose, thinking that Tyrion has just tried to break it. Lucy is so upset by this that she goes to Aslan. She begs him to help them see. Aslan replies, Dearest Lucy, I will show you what I can do and what I cannot do. Aslan shakes his golden mane and instantly a sumptuous banquet appears in front of them. Each dwarf on his knees has a plate heaped with juicy meats and glistening vegetables and pies and trifles and ices. And each one instantly has in his right hand a goblet brimming with the finest wine that you could ever imagine. But when the dwarves begin to eat, and they eat greedily... They start gagging and complaining. One is convinced he's eating dry hay, another a a dried-out turnip, and a third a raw cabbage leaf. And when they sip the wine, they sputter, Oh, fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that a donkey's been at. Never thought it would come to this. Finally, They all begin to suspect in the dark there that every other dwarf whom they know is there but they cannot see has something nicer than they do. And so they begin grabbing and snatching and quarreling until all the good food is smeared on their faces and boots. And when the scene is finished, Aslan turns to Lucy and says, They will not let us help them. They are so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. They are prisoners in their own minds. They could not see Aslan's gift of the new Narnia because they would not see it. In other words, Aslan would make them well, but they do not want to be made well. Which is sort of like what happens when Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for a festival, heals a man paralyzed for 38 years. 38 years! And we discover that the man is cured, but he doesn't really want to get well. When Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he doesn't go to visit the palaces. He goes to the hospital. He goes to where the sick and the lame hang out, and that's where he is today, and Jesus looks amongst this crowd of miserable humanity, and he picks one man in particular lying on a mat. Why him? Apparently because he's been there for 38 years. Jesus goes up to him and he asks him, do you want to be made well? He does not ask, who do you say that I am? He does not ask, what seems to be the problem here? Of all things, he asks, do you want to be made well? Do you know, at first I was kind of offended that Jesus would ask this. Isn't it obvious? It's been 38 years, Jesus. Of course he wants to get better. Why would you ask that? But the longer that I spent with the story, the more I began to wonder if this man really does. 
Now, I know that you could be thinking, wait a minute, it looks like he does get well. I mean, one minute he's lying there and he's not walking, he is disabled, and then the next, man, uh, next minute he stands up, he picks up his mat, he walks, he is enabled. And yes, it's true. His legs seem to be working in a way that they weren't before. But in John's gospel especially, physical things always point to deeper spiritual realities. The way that wine at a wedding feast means abundance. The way that water in a well points to overflowing life-giving life. And so too here. Because although this man's legs are working, it's not entirely clear that he does want to get well. Did you notice the response that he gives to Jesus' question? The man does not say, yes, I do want to get well. Nor does he say, I believe you are the Messiah. Nor does he even say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He says, sir, I have no one to help me in the pool. But literally, it's this. He says, sir, I don't have one human being who will help me. Sir, there isn't one single person in the whole world who will do anything for me. I am entirely and utterly alone in my sickness. It's me against the world. Now, maybe that's true, right? (laughs) It's a busy pool at Bethesda. A lot of people want to get well. You have to be first into the pool. People have a tendency to want to get there first when their health is involved. But then again, someone brought him to Bethesda that day. Someone's been bringing him there every day for the last 38 years. Someone's been helping him find food and shelter for every day in between. True or not, what is important is that when Jesus asks him if he wants to get well, he doesn't answer the question. He complains. One Bible scholar put it like this. I really wanted to share it with you. The man's reply to Jesus reads as the crotchety grumblings of an old and not very perceptive man who thinks he is answering a stupid question. Well, yeah, but he's been in pain for 38 years. Nothing has the power to turn us in on ourselves and fill us with complaints and grumbling quite like chronic pain, right? Sure. And Jesus commands him, and he gets up, and the man gets up, and he takes the mat, and he walks. But then notice what happens when the Pharisees try to give him a citation. They try to write him a ticket for carrying a mat on the Sabbath. And what does he say? He says, it's not my fault. The guy who healed me, he's the one who made me do it. I don't know who he is, but don't hold me responsible. I'm just doing what I was told. He ducks the authorities by blaming the man who healed him. Who, by the way, he didn't think to thank. And then after Jesus goes and finds him in the temple, he says, look, You are all better. And he reveals himself to him. What does the guy immediately do? He goes straight back to the authorities and he reports him. But Jesus comes to this man 
Jesus picks this man out of a whole crowd of miserable, sick people. He doesn't even have to ask, and he gets healed. And yet he spends this entire story blaming other people for his problems. And here, like a keen doctor, it's John who wants us to see these responses, these patterns, as symptoms of a deeper condition. In John, physical things always point to deeper spiritual realities. Jesus, did you notice at the end of this story, he comes back and he goes to the guy and he has some very harsh words for him. He says, stop sinning or it might get worse. He doesn't mean that your legs might stop working again. What he means is that you have not really understood what is wrong with you. The problem isn't that you are lying on the mat. It's that you never asked who I am. It's that you were more concerned about a citation from the temple police than what I had just done for you. It's that you blame me for the gift that I've given you. It's that you complain. And these symptoms all point to something serious, and you should probably have that looked at before it's too late. Jesus is trying to show this guy that he would make him well, but the man doesn't really want to get well. He is imprisoned by himself, and his captivity has very little to do with his legs, but much more to do with his heart. Do you want to get well, Jesus asks. Maybe it's a good question after all. Now, we recognize the problem, don't we? I mean, we've seen these symptoms before. We know people like this who can find something wrong with anything good. Do you remember the SNL uh, Saturday Night Live sketch, Debbie Downer? She could always ruin a good conversation with a sad or morbid or depressing anecdote, and then she'd make that classic face, you know, womp, womp. Greta was a little bit a woman like that who could always find something wrong with anything. You see, when she got a visit from a neighbor, she'd complain about how no one came to visit her. (laughs) When the kids came to visit her, she would complain about her friends. And then when her friends came to visit her, she would complain about the kids. And when she was well enough to come to church, she'd complain about how uncomfortable the pews were, how young the pastor was, how small the congregation had become. The words in the hymnal were too small. The light was too weak. The coffee was just not warm enough. And her friends gave her a wide berth for all of this because they knew that Greta had had a very, very, very difficult first part of her life. She came by this disposition honestly, and they were gentle. But they also didn't stay very long when they went to see her. We've probably known a few Debbie or Dave Downers. Why, sometimes we've even been Dave or Debbie. But what Jesus is trying to show us is that the complaining is a symptom of, in fact, something a little bit more serious. And any good doctor will tell you that the trick is not to fixate on the symptoms. The problem with the complaining, of course, is that it's a symptom of a heart condition. Ingratitude. And ingratitude, if you look it up in the Bible, is this chronic inability to see all of the gifts that God has given to us 
As a result, it creates in us this inability to say thank you to God for absolutely anything. And this means that in our hearts, we are prone, uh, we have this penchant, you could say, for taking credit for everything good that we have and despairing and complaining over all the things that we don't. Ingratitude has been linked to all kinds of more serious problems, pride and arrogance, despair, bad dinner table conversation, short tempers, rage, malice, envy, spite, greed, and yes, even complaining. And if you look up the, uh, the best diagnostician in this, it'd be Dr. Paul the Apostle. And you can see what he says right there in Romans chapter 1 when he says that ingratitude is just simply at the root of all that is wrong with the whole world. But if you aren't careful to notice the symptoms, they can lead to much more serious conditions. But thinking that there is not one person in the world who will help you can, in fact, wind up becoming true. In the Gospel of John, when, when John talks about sin, he's usually emphasizing, he's usually focusing on one aspect of it, and that's alienation. He is, in fact, rooting our problems all the way back to the very beginning of the story where it all went wrong in the garden, the Garden of Eden, and, and that moment when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and then they began to worry suddenly that God was not telling them something and that He couldn't really be trusted. And so then the first thing that they did, symptomatic of that, was that they hid. And then the next thing to happen was that they blamed each other. Think about an estranged couple for a moment. Two people fall in love, and then at some point they become strangers to each other. Who knows how it happens, but it does. When they were in love, they each saw things about the other person that they adored. She always made sure things were organized so that you could find them when you needed them. He kept her laughing with his spontaneity. They were in love, and when they were, everything about each other was a wonder. But then at some point, things began to turn, and they began to read everything about the other person through a different lens. Suddenly, helpful opposite traits, endearing quirks become imperfections. She used to like the way that he was steady and consistent and poised, but now he just looks like he's emotionally inept. And he used to love that she was detailed, but now he sees it as a lack of trust and a critical spirit. And friends, the story of the Bible, the story of us, begins in a garden where we are in love with God and we are content in the world without anything to complain about. We loved God, and who God was was a joy to us and a delight and a comfort. But then we were banished because we mistrusted what God said. And we began to suspect that He was hiding something from us. And the further away that we got from God, the more suspicious we became. Once the mystery of God was beautiful, but now it just seems like obscurity. Once the sovereignty of God was a comfort, but now it looks like unaccountability. Once the grace of God, which should be precious, just now just looks like getting off the hook. There's no such thing as a free lunch, we say, and God of all people should know that. 
As Tim Keller put it in a sermon once, when your heart is set in this disposition against God, you will look at every aspect of God's perfect character and complain that you don't understand. And the point is that until our heart is changed, we will find something wrong with everything that God does. And the further alienated we become from God, the more likely we are to think that it's just me against the world. And the more I will take for granted the things that people do, in fact, do for me all the time, until one day the worst happens, and I really am alone. And despite what we might say when we're upset, that's actually not what we want at all. We do not want to be left alone in our misery. We want to be made well. Do you want to get well, Jesus asks. Do you know in Greek that word made well, it also means made whole. Made whole. Jesus isn't asking about fixing one part of this man's body. He is talking about renovating and restoring the whole entire person. Do you want to be made whole? Which is, of course, what Jesus has come to do. To give back to us all of the things that sin and death have stolen, stolen and distorted and destroyed. To restore to us, all of the things that have been taken and diminished. And that is why we can't stop reading this story here. It's why in John, everything that Jesus does points to a deeper reality. Friends, in the Gospel of John, physical things always point to deeper spiritual realities, and they also point forward to a glorious reality. The healings of physical illness, they point to spiritual needs, and the healings themselves point forward to a greater miracle to come. You know, in John, he doesn't call these things that he does, he doesn't call the, the healings that Jesus does, he doesn't call them miracles. Do you know what he calls them? Signs. He calls them signs. And everybody knows that a sign points to something else. And what this sign is pointing to is why Jesus has to go to the cross, because that is the place where the root condition is addressed. Because the only way to deal with this root problem of mistrusting God is to go there. In fact, Jesus will use at the end of the story our ingratitude, our mistrust, our hostility against us to heal us. He uses it to heal us. Pilate washes his hands in callous indifference. The crowds exchange Jesus for a murderer. We hail that we have no king but Caesar. And everybody's pointing the finger at somewhere else. And the disciples are fleeing in terror and mistrust and fear in the dead of night. And the women weep over the violence of it all. And Jesus is then lifted up above all of it above every single symptom of our sick hearts so that we can look at something beyond the problem around us and see the cure. And there, Jesus says, it's finished. Isn't that great? Is that not the most beautiful thing that you have ever heard in your entire life? 
It is finished. Not mostly done, not sort of done, not almost done. It's finished. Do you want to get well? Everywhere else that we look, my friends, it's them, it's my parents, it's society, it's the Romans. Look there. It's you. And it's him. Some years ago, I was at a pastor's conference when the speaker, Chris, told this remarkable story about a guy in church who used to complain. At the time, Chris, the speaker, he was still young, he was in seminary, and he was working with this older, seasoned pastor in the congregation. And after worship one Sunday, Chris is following this this pastor, he's shadowing him, and this man comes up to the pastor, and he just lets it rip with everything that he's doing wrong. Complaints, all manner of loud, unfair criticisms, it runs the gamut, it lands on the pastor for everyone to hear. Astonished, Chris watches this whole thing unfold. He's like, what's this guy going to do? I'm so glad it's not me. (laughs) Interestingly, the pastor didn't cower, nor did he explode, nor did he even interrupt the guy. He let him go for a while. And then when he had said his piece, the pastor took a deep breath and he spoke. And this is what he said. He said, I want to thank you because you obviously care a lot about this church, and so do I, and so we share that in common. And I'm aware that some of what you've said uh, addresses things that are not a strength of mine, which is why we have other leaders in this church. And I'd like to ask you to pray for me as I continue to grow as a pastor in these areas that you've noticed that I'm not strong. Well, it's hard to say who was more astonished at that point, the individual or Chris watching this unfold, but it continues, right? He kept going. He said, but I'm also aware that some of the things that you said to me are not mine to own. And I need to ask that you never speak to me that way again, because it was unkind. And moreover, I would like for us to work together to help you understand why you might be speaking to me that way. So, I'm going to reach out to you this week and set up a meeting so we can spend some time together and talk about that. Chris watched as the loud complaints turned, surprisingly, into a pastoral conversation and, in fact, a moment of healing. And that story makes me wonder... What would it be like if the gift of Jesus' life got us up off our feet, freed to abandon self-justification long enough to listen? What would our work and our school and our homes look like if the gift of Jesus' restoration was the dead center of our lives? What would Whitensville look like if we rose, walked from this place, carrying with us the gift 
of Christ's riches lavished on us. It does make me wonder, what if we could go into the world in all its noise and heat and deflection and know that all of life is ordered by gifts? What if we could know in our hearts that when there's something we need, all we really have to do is ask? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. For the times that we've lied to one another and the times we've been lied to, heal us, Savior of the world. For the times that we've laughed at someone else's pain and the times we've been at, laughed at, heal us, Jesus, Savior of the world. For the times we've spoken when we should have remained silent and the times we've remained silent when we should have spoken, heal us, Jesus, Savior of the world. For the times when we have not respected freedom, for someone to be different from us, heal us, Jesus, Savior of the world. For the times when we have betrayed a friend and the times we've been betrayed, heal us, Jesus, Savior of the world. We trust that as we keep reading this story, we come ever closer to the moment in which you did. Set us free, rise us up into the good news that it's already been accomplished. In your name, amen. I mentioned this last week, but as we are walking together as a church through the Gospel of John, and in fact, every Sunday, no matter what we're looking at, our goal is not only to sing and lift our songs up and worship, to take in a sermon, but also to deepen our understanding of what God is teaching us together. We've been doing that through some new uh, or some restarted initiatives, and so after worship today, we're going to take a fellowship for 15 minutes, and then after that, we're going to invite all of our uh, Kids Street age students and our Echo age students to do a, um, a catechism class for a half an hour. And we're also going to be hosting a sermon discussion in the back under the balcony there. You're welcome to join us for that if you would like. Um, for this moment, though, as part of our uh, chance to understand and reflect on what we're learning, uh, we have a chance for our Echo age students, our third through fifth graders, to talk with some of our church leaders about what they're hearing and noticing during church. So if we have any of those students, uh, I, can you guys come up and join us for a second? We have a blessing for you. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God. Thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard. Plant it deep in our hearts and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus, guys. Thanks be to God. Embedded in this story is, is a truth that is for our whole Christian life, which is that God speaks and we respond. And so God speaks to us through his word, and we respond with an act of obedience uh, by giving up some of the money and the resources that God has entrusted to us for our offering. Uh, and our offerings this morning are both for the ministries that uh, fund the work of our congregation and also for a Christian day school education fund. Um, we aren't giving by passing baskets, but some of the ways that you can give are by placing Checks in a box in the front there where you came in or dropping them off during the week or by donating online. Having done that together, let's pray. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the lavishness of your gifts to us. We ask now that even as you open our eyes to see all the ways that we have more than enough, that you would open our hands to give back generously, and that somehow through this small act of obedience and trust, your church would be built up, your name would be glorified, and the people around us would wonder what is different. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, would you rise and let's sing. Oh.
Brothers and sisters, in the story of the Bible, the world began with us having God and so having everything else. And where things went wrong is when we lost God and everything else that's been broken has followed since then. And what Jesus gives us back is God. And from that, everything else starts to fall back in place. And so as you go today, God gives you the greatest thing that he could, his own blessing, words from the Father through the Son by the Spirit to you, assuring him that now that he has turned his face away from his Son, he has turned his face towards you and he will not change his mind. Would you open your hands and receive it? Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
day I heard you call out my name You said you loved me and would never leave me And I've never been the God's people said, have a blessed, safe week.